Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thank you for joining us. This week, we are blessed to have our guest speaker, Jason Sanchez, share about his ministry in Mexico and all that God is doing through it. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 43 as Jason shares God's heart to do a new work, not only in Mexico, but also in our church and in each of our own lives. Let's jump in. Good morning to you all, or afternoon, I don't know what, oh yeah, I guess it's still morning, yeah. And I am so honored to be here with you, I'm, I'm glad to finally be here. I was supposed to be here in March of 2020, I don't know if any of you remember that, but uh, yeah, uh, the, the tickets were, were purchased, and uh, I had been talking with, with Josh when he was overseeing the youth, and we had the, the mission trip lined up and scheduled and talking with Ryan. Ryan wasn't the, the lead pastor at that time, and uh, the tickets were booked and hotel, all that stuff, and then obviously we know what happened in 2020. And um, so I'm just thankful for the opportunity that, you know, three years or so later, I get to be here with you guys, and I'm equally blessed to have had the opportunity to worship with you. Um, there are fewer, greater joys in life, I think, than just praises rising from worship and adoration. And this morning, it just felt pure. You know, it felt like the worship that Jesus talks about in the Gospels, um, pure uh, worship, uh, worshiping in spirit and in truth. Um, so I'm um, grateful to be here. My name is Jason, uh, originally from Puyallup area. You know, when I speak at other churches, I guess who are not in the Northwest, they're like Puyallup. You know, they, they don't understand what that is. Same thing with Bashini, but Ryan is one of the few pastors that actually pronounces it correctly. Bashiniva is uh, five hours south of El Paso, Texas. You guys know where El Paso? They say El Paso is kind of the armpit of Texas, right? Not a lot going on down there. So then five hours, about 260 miles south is uh, the town of Bashiniva, where we have been serving for the past 10 years. This past August, I can't believe it. Uh, 10 years. So a little bit of our story, kind of a backstory to, to set the stage a little bit. Um, I've got a picture of my family. Um, of course, it looked a little bit differently uh, 10 years ago. My wife, Jackie, and I have been married, uh, will be 18 years this year. Um, she was born and raised in Tacoma uh, area, and uh, she loves the Northwest. She loves the rain. I don't, but she does, and she just misses it with all of her heart when, when we are down in Mexico. Uh, that is our daughter, Ayantu. She is 12. She'll be 13 here in a couple months. And then Natalia, uh, I'll talk a little bit more about her. She is 13. Um, we had the wonderful opportunity to adopt um, our little girl, our first girl, Ayantu, when she was four months old and brought her home when she was 11 months. So this is a picture of her. Uh, yeah. My wife and they are watching this service down in Mexico. So Auntie, I'm sorry, baby, but I have to show pictures because you're such a big part of the story. She always like, Dad, are you going to show pictures of me? I was like, absolutely. And you can't do anything about it because I'm up in the States and you're way down there. So so our story really begins with, with two words, unexplained infertility. This is something that's not talked a lot about. In fact, I talked to a couple after church, after first service today, that said, thank you for sharing that. We struggled with that for so many years. Uh, the definition of that is that you can't explain it. There is no answer. Our lives, we were serving, we were married, we were serving. We had bought a, this cute little house, 917 West Main, this beautiful 100-year-old house in Puyallup, serving at a growing, thriving church. Uh, my wife was, was working. Just everything was just going according to life plan, right? You get married, you buy a house, you have good jobs, and then you start a family. Well, as we were trying to start a family and believing that... Um, Things would just go the natural way that it goes for most people um, or a lot of people. God had something different. 
We're going to talk a lot about things that are different. Because for some of us, he constantly works in different ways in our lives. I don't know if any of you have that kind of life and that testimony, but you always feel, why is God always doing things different? Unlike the person next to me who has had the same job for this many years and been married and has this many kids and all that stuff. You know what I'm saying? There's sometimes you're like, why does, does our life have to be different? Well, when the Lord moved on our hearts to, you know what? Let's, let's look into adoption. I, I never would have imagined what an incredible journey, an incredibly hard journey uh, that this would be. But nevertheless, while we were wrestling and struggling with things, our little girl was, was born and abandoned naked on a dirt road in a small town somewhere in Ethiopia. And uh, some women found her as they were on their way to work, and they brought her to the police station, which this happens constantly over and over and over again. And, and uh, the, the police officers usually give a name to uh, the children. And when we were in the process of adopting, we were talking with people. A lot of people, they change, you know, the names and the names that they've always wanted. And so my wife and I had gone back and forth, you know, what do you think? Would we change it? Ayantu, you know, it's really pretty, but it's kind of hard to pronounce. Uh, and then we found out the meaning of it. It means blessed for the future. Come on. How do you, how do you change a name after that? <laughs> Ayantu Faith Sanchez. So you got Ethiopian, you got American, and you got some Hispanic in there. <laughs> so we brought her home when she was 11 months, and then we moved her to Mexico when she was 24 months. And prior to going to Mexico, things were going well. We had brought our, our baby girl home. And, and again, the church is growing and thriving. We had done another church plant in Tacoma. We were praying about possibly taking over that church plant and just what it was that the Lord had for us. And the Lord began to speak and move on our hearts that, that something was coming. He didn't confirm what it was, but he was saying, hey, change is coming. Just kind of get ready for something. Um, we happened to be down in Mexico in Bashiniva. We had, uh, my uncle is from that town. That's how we're connected there. And so we helped plant a church down there at Calvary Chapel, which is, which is growing. It's, it's a wonderful church in a town of about 2,000 people. And so we would take youth and college and construction teams down and work with, with minister in this town. And so one of the trips we went down there, it's got some pictures. Uh, this was in April of 2012, I believe. Uh, so the guy right over there just enjoying those, the, the strawberries and cream, uh, that is Luis and his wife Kim and their kids, and then my wife Jackie and, and our girl just throwing some sass. I, got, I had to do an upper-close picture. This next picture, now she's going to really get mad at me. Straight up, just like, what you talking about, Willis? Like, she's looking at me. <laughs> it's probably because I took her, her, her strawberries and cream away or something. When we were down there, we were only down there to plan our trips, missions trips for the year, and then we were going to come back and keep doing what we're doing. Well, that trip was the trip of a lifetime that forever changed things. I was walking with my aunt. I've always been really close with my aunt. And we went for a walk, and she walked me by this building that they were, beautiful building. They were, they were constructing it. It was, it was to open as um, kind of an older folks, a nursing home. And she was looking at it, and then she just said, out of nowhere, she said, wouldn't it be incredible if one day God wanted an orphanage here? And when she said that, it was like the heavens opened and the sun revealed, and God was like, this is it. I don't know if that's how he speaks, but it just felt like this is it. And I thought immediately, how do I tell my wife? We are so opposites in every aspect of the spectrum. And how do I tell her, babe, I think God is calling us and you to leave literally your family and everything that you've ever known in the Northwest and move to Bashiniva, a town of 2,000 people, a mile high up to open up an orphanage. So I was going through, how do I set this up? Do I butter her up a little bit? Hey, babe, you look great. You know, you want to go for a walk? Hey, how's the... And I was like, no, I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> so we were walking. We walked to the same building. And I said, babe, I just got to share something that was on my heart. And we began to talk. And I said, I think God is wanting us to move down here. And she said, I think he wants us to as well. 
It was kind of that simple. And then I was like, well, what happens now? <laughs> Thought maybe there'd be more resistance or something. Well, what began to unfold in only a God way that he can do. We went back. We shared it with our, our elders. They were excited, the pastoral team. Everybody was just excited about the opportunity, not just, oh, hey, good luck to you guys. Go out as missionaries. We'll send you 50 bucks. But, but the church saying, we want to be invested in this. We want to walk with you guys and do this. So in April, we were down there. In June, we shared this with our church. And then in August, we moved down. But at the service in June, yeah, things happen a little bit rapidly, quickly. Uh, don't you ever find that way sometimes with God? Listen, when he's moving, you better hang on, strap on that seatbelt, go on for dear life, because there's, who can, so we just declared that, right? Who can stop the Lord Almighty when he is doing a work? And so that Sunday morning, when we kind of laid out as much as we knew the vision and the plan, uh, a verse was spoken over us, and it was from my dad. It's in Habakkuk 1.5. I love when amazing verses like this are found in pretty obscure books like Habakkuk. It is a book in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Listen to what it says, Habakkuk 1.5. We got it up there. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. New King James Version says, I will work a day, I will work a work in your days which you would not believe if it were told. What is that saying? It is saying that the God who does wondrous and astounding things, even if he laid out what that was going to look like, you wouldn't believe it. I always like the, the sharing, you know, imagine waking up in the morning and getting a text message or an email from God laying out the plans for the week. How many of you would love that? How many of you would be like, Oof. I would love it if everything went according, if it was all good stuff. But if it was something not, I'd be like, did you mean to send this email to somebody else? Or this text message for somebody else? We so badly want to know. And yet if God was to reveal things like, hey, I'm going to close your womb. I'm going to close a womb to give you a heart for adoption. I'm going to give you a heart for adoption because I want you to adopt. I want you to adopt a young girl from another country to give you a greater heart for orphans and children and, and things outside of the United States. And I want to give you that kind of heart because I'm going to move you to Mexico and I'm going to move you to Mexico because you're going to start an orphanage. I would literally not have believed that. I would have said, really? I would have been like Moses. You know, we read people in the Bible and sometimes like, oh, why was Moses always trying to get out of it? I would have too. I can't speak. I'm not good. Are you sure? Talk to Aaron. All of this, these things, these are natural humans. Jeremiah is the same. I'm just a youth. God, what is it that you see that you would do something like this. And I think that falls in, again, look them in, the, that falls into the wonder and astonishment of how our God works. If we had it all figured out, I don't think we would depend on him as much as we should. If all the dots were lined up and everything, where would the, the faith come from? Where would the trust and the belief and the saying, Lord, uh, I, I'm believing that we're hearing from you. God, I really hope this is you saying, sell everything and move to another country. And God continued to confirm when we moved down there in August of 2012, we went down there for three months to initially see, number one, could you even do this? Are you allowed to just do orphanage? We didn't really do a ton of homework on this. We just thought, hey, let's go and do this. So we went down there, we learned a lot, we've stumbled through a lot, but the Lord allowed us to buy this 
this property. So this is 40 acres. It's an, it was a dead apple orchard. Uh, apples are one of the main uh, work and produce down there and, and livelihood and income for people. Our property goes up over that first little mountain there. So this is what it looked like when we purchased it and we began plowing and we began working and building and partnering with churches. And this is what it looks like now. To God be the glory for that. Again, if someone would have shown me that dead apple orchard, we were riding in on horses, me and my own, because that's what you do when you're in Mexico. When you're going to check out land, you just get on horses and you just go. I'm not super good at riding horses, so I was doing my best to keep, keep up. We were riding this land. We went up to the top of the mountain. We prayed, we worshiped, and we heard from the Lord to say, I'm giving you this land. And if I would have had a, a snapshot of that picture in that property. Can you put that back up? So um, this is just a small portion of the property. That main 8,000 square foot facility is what was the orphanage. That is our house up there in the corner. Then you've got our offices, our computer lab, our shed, uh, our sports park and everything. And then that last building right there is one of the most crucial ones. It is our coffee shop. <laughs> because when you live in Bashiniva and you're drinking instant Folgers and combate and coffee that's not super awesome, um, and you've been in coffee and you've worked in coffee, you got to have a coffee shop. So if you all come down and visit, we will talk and we will look at incredible scenery and we will give you good coffee. <laughs> the orphanage opened in February of 2014. We got uh, our legal documents from the government recognized as a, as a legal nonprofit in an orphanage, and we opened up and got a couple pictures. So our life began of caring for kids, over 60 kids at various times, aging in range from 18 uh, months to 18 years old. Um, children down in Mexico, it's not like in Africa where, or Ethiopia where they're true orphans. Uh, most of these kids had either a single mom, a grandparent, an aunt, some family. Some of them had a mom and a dad, but were just in our home to have a chance to go to school and whatnot. So it's really not, they don't call them orphanages down there. They're, most, they're mainly called children's homes. But we cared for some kids who were true orphans, some kids who came from broken, uh, messed up families. A lot of our kids never met uh, or know of their biological father, a lot of single moms. And so that's what we did for six years. And we just believe that this is what God, God was doing. And we continued to see the campus and property grow and, and churches would come down and mission teams. And we, we started an internship program and we had 25 interns that have gone through this. Three of them became full-time missionaries. We started English classes as an outreach out to the community. Things were just going and going. We had talked about maybe doing a school on our campus for our kids because when kids would come in our home, they were so far behind um, Education-wise, it was very difficult to just drop them in the public school and, and hope that they got caught up. So everything was leading and growing, and 2020 was literally supposed to be the biggest year of all the years of being down there. And we all know what happened in 2020, and everything radically changed. I mean, drastically changed. But it didn't change the God that we serve. It didn't change Psalm 72, 18 that says this, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. New King James Version says, who only does wondrous things. I think sometimes we feel like God can do wonderful things, and then in a pandemic, when everything has drastically changed, God, where are you? Did any of you feel that way? What are you doing? What is happening? Do we somehow think that the God of wonder and astonishment and creator and sustainer of all things somehow just ceases working <laughs> during hard times? I think that's when he works in even a greater way. Amen? In even a greater way when we can't always see it. This next picture I have, this was literally the last picture. This was uh, our daughter, her birthday is March 8th. 
And this was the weekend before everything shut down. This was one of the last pictures that we had with how the orphanage and things looked. And you can look at that picture and, and the picture of the kids in light of what went through, and it could be so discouraging, can it? It's like, God, why would all of this, you do all of this stuff to all of a sudden, the entire world is experiencing something like this pandemic. And there were times, oh man, just as it dragged on, we had to close the orphanage. Um, fortunately, things worked out where we could relocate the majority of our kids with either their families. Families were calling saying, hey, this, this is crazy. You know, I want my kid back. Uh, and so God, through, through a number of things, just worked it out where not only were we able to reconnect the children with, with most of their family, but we were then able to start a program to begin able to, to assist their families. So we were still caring for the kids, but now God was giving us a little glimpse of, of kind of partnering with these families, um, supporting them through finances and encouragement, um, coming to church uh, when, when things started opening a, a little bit and uh, moving them into different housing. So it wasn't that God wasn't completely ceased working during that time. But I'll tell you what, Mexico was so far behind kind of what felt like, obviously, the United States in sort of recovering from this. Uh, my daughter was in fourth grade when school was closed down, and then she didn't go back to school in a normal way until seventh grade. So she's like, wow, Dad, I, I mean, that's a lot of school. And we, as things carried on, uh, kids would go back kind of half days, two days a week. It was just a mess as this third world country is trying to grapple with how do you, how do you navigate this pandemic and how do you educate kids? It was a mess. And every time I would be on our property and just look at these buildings that were once so full of life and now are just sitting there, oh, it took everything in me to not just give up. If there was ever a time when I can say, babe, it is justifiable, let's move. But God never released us. And he gave a verse in Psalm 27, 13 and 14. You know, when you're also kind of in the trenches going through stuff, doesn't the scripture become more alive to you? Amen. I mean, we can read these, these verses when we're doing our daily devotions and we check them off and we can hear people talk about it and this, but when you are in it and it's like, I've got to hear something, that is when the scriptures can become so alive. Saints, that's why we read it, not for a Bible program, not because we try to do it in a year, but because it's words of life. Jesus speaking to us through his word. Psalm 27, 13, 14, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have lost heart unless what? Not in, until, unless I know. I'm gonna lose heart unless it's revealed. It says what? Unless I had believed. I am believing that I'm gonna see the goodness of the Lord. I'm believing that God has not quit on me. And so that is why I'm not losing heart. That is the encouragement we receive from the psalmist here. And then verse 14, it says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. How many of you got tired of waiting during the pandemic? And waiting and waiting and waiting. And then when there was glimpses of hope, then it was waiting more. But the reoccurring thing that kept coming back to both my wife and, and me and our supporting churches and people, God was not saying, go back. And so we continued to serve down there, helping these, these families, partnering with them. Um, during that pandemic, in the, in the first picture that I showed you, Natalia and another girl named Catalina, they did not have any other option living-wise, and so they moved into our house so it went from family of three uh, to family of five. 
uh, I'm the only guy, so lots of girls up in there. And um, I always joke around with them that the good thing we had the property where I could just, you know, walk a lot and get, a, get, get some breathers. And um, I built the recording studio. That was like my little safe haven. I would just disappear. Uh, my wife could kind of tell when level was like up here, and she was like, maybe you should go. I'm like, yep. Well, the two girls that moved in, obviously, we, we are in the process right now of, of adopting Natalia. Please pray for us. We just saw a major victory uh, on this in the Mexico side of a hurdle we had to jump over. And uh, I, I fly back uh, uh, tomorrow, and there'll be, uh, we've got a meeting with our um, adoption agency via Zoom on Wednesday to just um, start cranking with this. So uh, a lot of work that goes into it, but we're believing that the Lord um, will allow us to adopt her. Natalia's been with us for seven years, so it's like she's been a part of our family. Um, anyways, Carolina was another one that moved in with us. We got to see her graduate last year, first ever in the history of her family, to finish junior high, finish high school, graduate with good grades, and now she's studying at a Bible college in Ensenada. Yeah, praise the Lord to that. She has five, uh, four siblings. There's five of them total. They were abandoned. Their father died. Mom abandoned them. So we've had all of their, their, her siblings at various times, and she's the only one that has stuck through. Man, watching her graduate was so remarkable and joyous to see. Uh, it's a Tarahumata, the Tarahumata Indians. There's tons, hundreds of thousands of Tarahumatas up in the Sierra Madres and, and pregnancy rate of 12, 13, 14 years old, not going to school, working. And so she really defied the odds. So we're just celebrating God for allowing that and that she has a desire to, uh, to continue to study. She was messaging me yesterday, you know, I need money. <laughs> Uh, I'm on a bus going back, you know, to school. When do you send my next money? You know, that's what teenagers want these days. They just ask you for money. And I got these, these Natalie and Ayanti, they're falling right behind. Hey, I think you owe me some money and this and that. So it's been a blessing to be able to still work with her. We, we partnered with, uh, um, with our church and a, and a partner church that we helped plant down in Mexico to do a VBS project. And I, I want to talk a little bit about this because we've got some info on it on our table. But basically, the pastor had this idea, hey, how we want to bless our community and we want to do a VBS project completely, our own material. Uh, we've been purchasing stuff from the States. It's really expensive, especially for Mexico standards. And so we've never fully got the full package deal because we can never afford it. So it was kind of half through VBSs up here and then doing our own. So he was like, what would you think if we did a complete own VBS? I was like, awesome. He's like, I've been writing some music. Would you want to help with the music? I said, absolutely. Well, that turned into us uh, writing and recording and, and, and producing six original songs. Um, I brought some of those CDs. It's in Spanish, but you know it. You can worship in Spanish. So if you want to grab one of those, it's on our info table that has all the information of, of what we're doing, as well as some coffee mugs. Any, any donations that we get from today, we're going to put into the next VBS project this year, because the pastor was talking to me. He was like, hey, do you think we can pull this off again? I was like, I think so. So we're going to do Noah's Ark. Um, my best friend in Florida, he's one of our board members. His wife did all the original drawings for the life of David. So uh, getting to do this in the community with our church, this other church, and then seeing additional churches asking, hey, can we use this stuff um, to do these VBSs? We even had a church in Florida saying, could you translate this so we could do this up here? So all those things, God is still working. Listen, even in a pandemic, even when things drastically change, he's still working, and we were okay with that, but there was still this, and I want to put the property picture back up there. There was still this. What do we do with this? My God, certainly you have something more for all of this. It's set up for something because God made it clear last January that the chapter and the season and the door for the orphanage was to stay closed. That's not the need as it once was. And so when he did that and confirmed that, it was like, okay, Lord, what's next. 
And we're going to kind of close up our time hanging out in Isaiah 43. If you want to turn there, Isaiah 43. As you're waiting for that, what's next? Um, again, I actually got a call from my aunt, the same one that had the idea of the orphanage. She called me and said, hey, have you been thinking about the school again? When I tell my wife, she's like, are you talking to Kim? She does not like when I talk with my aunt. She's like, you guys are always planning something. And so she's kind of coined the phrase, Kim strikes again. Like when she calls, <laughs> you talk to her. First it was an orphanage. Now you guys are talking about a school? Well, again, this was something that we had been praying through and thinking about when we had the orphanage. We just thought, well, this will be for our kids that are in the orphanage. Well, as she obviously just saw the, the impact and, and the, the ramifications of, of, the, of the pandemic and what it did for schooling, the Lord started stirring on her heart a Christian school. And I said, I would love to pray about it and see how we could partner. And we don't want to just start it ourselves, but we would love to partner with those that would like to see something maybe come to fruition. And so we started praying and talking. We talked about it with the elders of our church. I talked about it with my board. And it seemed like this was moving in a new direction. And it seemed like a good idea. And the best way to kind of do the test run would be with kids from our church, right? So we, we had a meeting. We shared it with the church. And we anticipated with those that said that they were interested, maybe 15 to 18 kids that would come. I was like, hey, that's a great number. It's a great way to start. We've, we've got a couple people that want to teach. We've got this curriculum that we're, we're working with, this, this program that they've been around for 30 years. Uh, we've got the facility. We can do this. So we invited our church to come to an information meeting, again, thinking it was just a small group. The next picture I have shows a picture of our information meeting, we had over 60 people that came. The majority were not from our church. They were from town. I don't know how they heard about this. We did not put it on social media. Well, guess small town, everybody just talks. But somehow, word was getting out that there might be a Christian school, obviously with a biblical foundation, and then, and then a, a, a huge emphasis on English teaching kids English. And so I think that that was probably a huge draw. Nevertheless, this was our turnout for our open house. I think all of us were nervous about what this was going to look like, what we were going to share. I was thinking, well, surely as these people hear about the, our goal and our intentions, and they hear our pastor who is always about the gospel, always getting it out there talking about Jesus, I, in my mind, thought, well, these people aren't going to come back. <laughs> He's talking a lot about Jesus and what we want this school to be. Oh, me of little faith. Aren't you glad God still uses us even when we have those stupid doubting moments? So after that meeting again, oh, me of little faith, I thought, well, surely when it comes time to paying, not all these people are going to come. We figured out what, what amount of the tuition uh, that people could afford. Um, it was obviously way less than what it costs to run the school, but we just believing in faith that God would provide. And uh, we had enrollment the next month. The first few days, we had kids come from the church that we expected. By the end of that week, we had 40 kids regist paid, registered. And then, when it was all said and done, when we realized we don't have enough teachers, we don't have books, our building is not ready, like, this is real. This is real, and we've got three months to get things going. We had 14 more get enrolled. And so when it was all said and done, when it was time to start classes on September 5th, 54 kids in kindergarten to junior high. Talk about moving fast. And here's why it moves fast. And this is what we're going to focus on here in Isaiah 43. Look at Isaiah 43, verse 19. Well, we'll read 18 and 19. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. 
Brothers and sisters, underline, highlight, circle, do whatever you need to on the first part of verse 19. Behold, I am doing a new thing. It's really important here to note a number of things here. Number one, this is a statement from God. This is not a, I'm thinking about doing something. I'm wondering about doing something. It is, behold, I am doing something. And then who does it say is doing the new thing? This is so key. God, this happened, the school thing and all that stuff and the amazement when you, when you share that with people, like, that's incredible. It's incredible because God was doing it. And when he does it, he shakes you up a little bit. When you think there's 15, he wants to give you 54. When you have 54 and you have three teachers, he provides the 11 more staff members that you need. I got a Facebook message from somebody in the town. We used to hire him as a tutor. He would come and tutor the kids, some of our kids. And I was getting, I'm not on Facebook much or Messenger, and I was getting his, his um, uh, what's it called? When you, what's that thing called in English? When you, you, your resume. He was sending me, he sent me his resume. And all this stuff, I'm like, did I miss, like, did I miss a conversation here? He's just sending all this stuff, and he said, hey, I heard you guys are opening a Christian school. I'm so excited about it. I just wanted to give you my, and this is a skilled, licensed, uh, educated young man, loves the Lord, reaching out to us. That's what happens when God is doing the new thing. When we step back, because God doesn't say, hey, Jason, uh, I have the new thing I want you to do. Hey, Jackie, you and I, hey, babe, you and I are going to do this. God is saying, I am going to do this, Jason. Do you want to join me on this? You want to walk with me on this? You want to journey on this with me? Now, I want to point out a couple other things here because verse 18 and 19 and then really 16 and 17, it can get a little dicey here. Verse 18 says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Well, in verse 16 and 17, it says, Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and water. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. What is, what is the prophet saying here in these verses? He's reminding us, right? Of what? What story is happening here? The Red Sea. He's reminding them of the incredible thing that he did when he was rescuing his children out of captivity, leading him into the promised land. So in verses 16 and 17, he's reminding of, of this incredible thing that he did. And then it says, well, don't remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. And then it says, well, I'm doing a new thing. What is this saying here, God? Do I remember? Do I not remember? Here's what I think he's saying. When a chapter or season closes, it's done. God closes that. And that's an okay thing. And he closes that. Why? Because he wants to do a new thing. When I was supposed to come up here in March of 2020, Ryan was not the lead pastor. Doug was. Now God has, is doing a new thing. Now, is he saying to those of you who've been in this church for a while, and it's like, oh, man, forget about all that stuff that Doug did. Forget about all that stuff. Remember not that former stuff because we're doing a new thing with a new guy and younger and this and that. No, that's not what it's saying. Why? Because verse 16 and 70, it talks about all of the, the things that God did at that point. So here's what I think it's saying. For those of us that tend to maybe live in the past a little bit, the glory days, the good old days. Oh, man, I wish it was like this. And oh, I wish it was this. And remember when it was this. And maybe some people have gone through that here with the church. Well, I remember with this, and he would teach this way, this way, this way. I think God would say, hey, listen, that was the time and place. Um, and I've closed that season because I'm doing something new. And for those of us, when something new freaks us out, we have verses 15 and 16 to remember the faithfulness of God. So it's a win-win situation. 
I look back on the aspects of the orphanage and I miss it and I, and I, I miss some of it and I don't really want to go back and do it all over again, but there's parts of it and I was like, oh, I remember those days. But when I start getting nervous, when I'm looking financially at this school is costing way more than the orphanage did, how are we going to do this, this, and this? The Lord is saying, well, you just read verses 16 and say, you just remember my faithfulness, my goodness, my provision for this new thing that I'm doing. And because of that, we can embrace new things, new seasons, New chapters, when one door closes and another door opens, it's always leading us closer to Jesus. Um, so September 5th, we started school. I've got some pictures just to run through with you guys. Um, the kids come at 8 o'clock. I'm going to stand over here. It's awkward. Uh, kids come at 8 o'clock. They do devotions in the morning. This is our English class, so they get 45 or 50 minutes every day in English. It's a very bilingual school. Uh, they're so excited to learn English. Jackie, she's our kindergarten teacher. She took a step of faith. She has 12 kindergartners that she deals with. Those kids are so smart. They are speaking English. They are counting. That was at our Christmas party that she had. Um, this is my cousin, Letty. She's one of our junior high teachers. The majority of the junior high are now going to our youth group at our church. God has used the school. These are our kindergartners. Next, next picture is our first, second, and third grade group. That is Marlene. She is doing a fantastic job. Uh, the next one is our fourth and fifth grade uh, we do multi-grade because we don't have enough teachers. Um, it's working pretty good thus far. Uh, this is Esmeralda. This is our sixth grade group. And then the last one is our junior hires, seventh, eighth, and ninth. And then uh, got a picture of our staff. We just have a wonderful team of brothers and sisters that love the Lord and God supernaturally brought together in a way that I, we didn't even know how we were going to do it, but he knew, and he did it. And so we just started our second semester. And uh, the last two pictures here. Um, so this was a picture that was taken with our kids, first day of school, when the orphanage was open, uh, right before the pandemic, in front of the same building, kids, same city, same town. The next picture is a different version, in front of the same building, it's kids, but just in a completely different way. And I love that because it's God reminding me of his faithfulness. Hey, when these kids were in the orphanage full time and I was caring and I was providing and whatnot, now I'm just doing something different, but it's still involving kids, it's still involving the gospel, it still is involved investing in people's lives and impacting the community. We are having a greater impact in our community than we ever had with the orphanage. Amen. The majority of our kids in the school are non-believers. They come from non-believing family. A lot of them come from Catholic families. And the notes and the, and the messages that we receive from parents day after day is talking about how much the school and teachers and Bible classes are impacting their students' life. We did a Christmas program. Uh, when I, I do quite a bit of traveling, but when I'm there, I'm the music teacher. We did a Christmas program, taught 34 kids how to play instruments and sing. Uh, and I thought, how are we going to do this in a few months? Fourth and fifth graders, you know what you do with them? You teach them the recorder. Everyone did not like that time of class because all your... They learned how to play Silent Night. They were so happy. They were so excited. We invited the family and friends to come to hear the gospel message through the reading of the Christmas story. We provided food for them. We had over 100 people that came the first one and over 80 that came the second one. The town has never had anything like this. God's saying, I'm doing a new thing that I want you to be a part of. We must never lose sight of who is doing the new thing. 
because it can be pretty easy for us to slip in our human nature to think that we, we have something that we can bring. I think it's, it's, it's a natural thing in our flesh where we, we think that we can benefit or this and this, and every once in a while, God just has to recalibrate things. <laughs> every once in a while, he's got to do a little harder than normally to realign us and remind us of what he's doing. And so I want to close with two verses in Deuteronomy that if, if you had any doubt, you're going to be reminded through these verses. And it's always good when God reminds us through his word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, first of all, this is making clear who is leading, right? Who is bringing them out? Who is promising? It's God. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. What is the reoccurring theme here? You did nothing. You ain't nothing. First service, Pastor Ryan shouted that out. Nothing. God brought you out to a land that he is giving you that is full of buildings that you did not build and cisterns that you did not fill and vineyards that you did not dig and olive trees that you did not plant. And why is that? Because when you eat and you're full, then take care lest you forget the Lord. Why does he do this? It's because it would be so easy for us to think, look at what we have done. Look at what we have built. Look at what we have accomplished. And look at this. And, and like I said, sometimes it's, it's, it's unnaturally. Sometimes it's not intentionally. Sometimes it is because we think, wow, we are on to something. No, it is so you don't forget the Lord. And then he reminds us in the end, who brought you out of the land of Egypt? Out of slavery. Wow. So God, you are doing a new thing. You invite us to be a part of it. Why would you do that? Why do you choose knuckleheaded, untrained, uneducated people that are trying to navigate through life who are fleshly and carnal and sinful? Why do you do that? Well, we're going to close with Deuteronomy 7, 6, and 8. This is wonderful. For you are a holy people. You are people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Wouldn't you love to just close up with that verse and just focus on, oh, we're holy, we're chosen, we're treasured. Okay, we're children of God. Yeah, well, no, it was not. <laughs> He drops this incredible thing of who we are, who the nation is, but then he says, let me remind you again of why you are this. You are a people holy to the Lord. You're a chosen people for his treasured possession out of everybody that was on the face of the earth, but it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. Now it's talking about how fewest you are. It is not because of this and definitely not because of this. Then why? I love the end of this. But it is because the Lord loves you. The Lord loves you. Brothers and sisters, the Lord who created everything he loves you, every single one of you in here. Those that have made a profession of faith and those who have not. Those who are struggling and battling and, and, and you feel like you're, you're waging war against your flesh or whatnot, he loves you. And not only does he love you, but he wants to use you. Isn't that amazing? It's blessing after blessing. 
I love you enough to give you my son to go through the most wretched death ever so that you might come to faith and belief through Jesus, be reconciled with me, a holy God. I do that because I love you. And not only that, now I want to use you. Why? Because there's a lot of other lost people out there. There's a lot of lost people in Portland. Southeast, wherever we are, Clackamas, whatever the, wherever we are. That's one little town in one little city, in one state, in one part of the, the world. God wishes that none would perish, but all that come to repentance. And if somehow God wants, in the new thing he wants to do, he wanted to close the orphanage because he wants to use this school to further his kingdom and further reach people, sign me up. I'll do it, Lord. And if he wants you to get involved in a ministry here at church or to reach out to your neighbor or whatever it might be, tune your ears to listen to what the Lord is saying and the new thing that he's doing. And he'll use you in ways that you never would have imagined. And it'll be incredible. It will change your life. That's because we gave him our life. When we recognize we are nothing without him to surrender, why wouldn't we continue to surrender to him? Lord, my marriage, my children, this difficulty, this infirmity, this loss of pay, this, this, this praise report, this blessing, whatever it may be, I am giving it to the one who loves me with an unconditional love. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and pray. And, and then we're going to sing and worship. Starting the service is wonderful with worship. Ending is with wonder, wonderful with worship because, listen, it's not a time to end like, oh, this is the closing song right before we leave. This is a time when the Spirit wants to seal upon our hearts that which he has spoken to us. And there's going to be some people up here for prayer. And I just encourage you guys. It was such a blessing, first service, seeing people come up as we're singing of the amazing grace of God and of his promises and of his faithfulness. It was incredible seeing people coming up, praying for whatever it might be. So if the Lord is stirring on your heart, maybe the new thing that he's doing and you're scared, come forward for that. If you're here and you don't even know who this God is that we've been talking about, today is the day of salvation. You should come and you should talk, receive prayer and let's let the Holy Spirit seal our time together. Thanks for listening to this week's study. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For service times and location, or even just to learn more about the ministry of Calvary Chapel Southeast, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this study. Stay tuned for our next series coming soon.